Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Gladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Enacting the Kingdom. I'm here uh, with Father Jeffrey, and today's topic is the narrative trajectory of the Kathisma, or Kathismata. Uh, so this is a kind of a tricky one because, as we've learned in previous episodes, the Kathisma is appointed um, on a continual basis that you just pick up where you've left off in the Book of Psalms. So if you're coming to church on a Tuesday the theme of the psalms you might be reading is not directly associated with like the themes of Tuesday or with like the theme of the yearly cycle it's just going to be the next psalms that's right so yeah. uh and, but we're also going to talk about i think starting now is is the kathisma that's appointed for saturday evening which is kathisma 1 blessed is the man and that and that's what i think most people would be used to um, to the point where we call that part of the service, the blessed is the man. <laughs> That's right. And people might be altogether surprised if they showed up at a daily Vesper service during the week and found something else happening. So, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing as we talk about, you know, narrative uh, trajectory of the thing, because you'd assume that the narrative uh, kind of placing of each part of the, the service within the whole structure of the service depends on it, you know, kind of fitting in thematically or in a kind of some sort of developmental in a way. So here we have a slightly random element happening, uh, in terms of the appointed, you know, Psalms for that time. And that will change throughout the year. We've just actually recently moved, uh, at Vespers from, uh, one schedule of, uh, Kathismata to, to another. And that's, because actually at this time of year, once we pass the um, autumn equinox, we have more night than day. And as a consequence, there's more kathismata appointed for matins, which is a, still a nighttime service. It's supposed to end with dawn. So there's more dark. So what do you do? You have to have more of the kathismata happening during the night. And it means that the availability of psalm readings for Vespers is a little bit more constrained. So actually at daily Vespers now, we've moved into having the same kathismata at each, you know, daily service. So, so that might be a slightly more familiar thing. It's actually kathisma uh, 18 um, that is read. And, um, you know, it's one that people may be a little bit more familiar with, particularly if they've been through Lent and, you know, Lenten services and, and that sort of thing. But in principle, yeah, it could be, you know, you're at any point in the narrative. You know, so we can talk a little bit about that and how psalms work or don't, you know, depending on, um, you know, what their their themes are. But you're quite right. I think for most people, Saturday evening Vespers or Eve of a Feast Vespers, you know, so any of the great feasts, their experience would be, you know, the, the first stasis of the first kathisma, uh, which begins with Psalm 1, verse 1, blessed is the man. So. Um, could we talk a little bit about, because my assumption is, that when you sit down on a weekday vespers or whatever and 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 the reader begins reading just the next psalm in the book uh, as appointed it would seem that there isn't much 
isn't much connection with the sort of narrative that the service is providing. Is is that a right way of thinking about it? Sorry, I just got distracted. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> Ask that question again and then erase what you just said. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when I think about the Kathismas and how they're always going to be just sort of the next psalm, basically, um, it seems to me that there's not much connection with the actual service. And that I, I'm starting to see the weaknesses of me saying that, but maybe you could speak a bit more yeah, to I mean, that. One of the interesting things, though, is you know how the Psalms do work regardless. Okay, So we can come back to that idea. But in terms of the way thematically Psalms get put in in specific times, we've spoken about that before. We had the we started this whole series with Psalm 103 and you know how it's themes of creation and God being in sovereign control and ongoing creation and everything. That was a really important, you know, psalm to, to begin with. It also has themes of, of evening, you know, um, associated with it. And you get that, you know, throughout the service at different times, psalms appointed because they're about repentance or because they're about the morning or because they're about the middle of the night. Um, or because, you know, at the end of uh, Vespers at a Vigil, same thing with Divine Liturgy, the Psalm, you know, 33, the, the the reversal of the powers of this world that is being kind of announced. So those are kind of obvious thematic things. But it's interesting how, you know, very subtly, um, you know, all of the Psalms are kind of always appropriate. And so we, we'll talk about, you know, what the moment of the Cathisma is all about, which is, you know, about being quiet and still you know we we spoke last time about the whole desert practice of of liturgy essentially and how that we still have these moments you know during the service which partake more of the desert or monastic practice rather than kind of cathedral city practice and the kind of place that we're we're put in as worshipers at that moment invites us to kind of still make connections you know it's not just about okay we're going to accomplish this thing of getting through some more Psalms and, you know, check that off a list, you know, Martin Luther style, you know, you you may know that the whole Protestant Reformation was kind of started because he got behind in saying the Psalms and he got all worried about that. And so he wanted to kind of do away with that as, as a program, as a kind of uh, job to do. And we don't think of it in those terms at all. And it's interesting the kind of place that the worshiper is placed, you know, put in, you know, for this moment in the service, which invites a completely different way of relating uh, to the Psalms and maybe looking for kind of nuanced and subtle and, you know, maybe just occasional connections and maybe one word or one verse or or one theme rather than kind of taking the whole thing and, and saying this is significant as a kind of developmental stage in the story of the service that you're partaking, you know, of. Because what follows, you know, that opening Psalm in, in Vespers, Psalm 103, and then the Great Litany, we've spoken about that, will not always be the same song. And so it's an opportunity maybe to kind of become a little bit more meditative or reflective to to be still and know uh, who God is, you know, to quote one of the Psalms. So one of the ways that I think we can go about this particular episode is to look at the first Kathisma, which is done and appointed for Saturday evenings. So most listeners will be most familiar with Vespers in the context of Saturday evening in anticipation of the service of the resurrection on Sunday morning. And uh, that's when the Kathismas repeat. 
uh, where you sort of have finished the entire Psalter and you start again on, on Saturday evening with the first Kathisma. So could we maybe talk a little bit about Psalm uh, 1 uh, and, and, and how that's expressed in church and the meaning of this Kathisma and why it's sort of significant in that part of the service? Okay. So you're right. And this is the beginning of the liturgical week, right? Saturday evening, it's the eve mm-hmm. of, of Sunday, uh, which is both eighth and first day of the week. So it's the, the, the beginning of the new liturgical cycle. If you're following the book of eight tones, the Optoikos, this is where you switch into the new tone and you're going to carry that through right until kind of ninth hour of the following week, right? So it's Vespers is the beginning of the liturgical day. Saturday Vespers, Eve of Sunday is the beginning of a liturgical week. So yeah, we have appointed for us Kathisma 1. Now, Kathisma 1 actually is the first eight psalms. Um, and quite helpfully, the numbering in the Hebrew and the Septuagint at this point is exactly the same. So we don't have to uh, kind of catch ourselves uh, you know, with the numbering here. But like all the other Kathismata, it is also divided into three stases, so three sort of subsections of that Kathisma. So what uh, it, it really is fully appointed for Saturday evening is Kathisma 1 divided into three sections. So Psalms 1 to 3, 4 to 6, and then 7 and 8. And after each of those, there would be a little litany. Now, you know, that would be a kind of, you know, fullest monastic practice where all of the Psalms, you know, you would, you would do what you would do in a kind of normal, um, you know, daily Vesper service. You would just quietly, you know, sit down and the, the Psalm would be meditatively read, uh, Going back to that desert practice we spoke about last time where, you know, one person is reading and the others are, are sitting, contemplating, meditating on the words that are, that are being chanted. Um, but of course, you know, there's always the pressure of, you know, city and cathedral practice and so forth. We've talked about that before, how, you know, things are sung, you know, they're much more festive. And this is, of course, the eve of the feast of the resurrection. It's a mini Pascha. And, and as I say, it's also the same Kathisma appointed on the eaves of great feasts. So therefore, it's rarely practiced in that way, that, you know, the way you'd have it kind of daily Vesper. So actually, there are two ways, um, you know, that this can kind of pan out. The most common way is for uh, the first stasis of that first Kathisma, that's to say Psalms 1 to 3, um, you get an excerpted, you know, set of verses, Couple verses from Psalm one, couple verses from Psalm two, couple verses from Psalm three, with an Alleluia refrain sung, and then a kind of Trinitarian doxology, you know, at the end with another triple Alleluia, um, and that is what is typically packaged. You know, you see it in choir books and you know service books as "Blessed is the man," and that you know both eight verses altogether, six to, to eight verses with Alleluia. Uh, there are different, you know, kind of selections. There, there, there came to be a fairly standard one that you find in a lot of uh, Slavic churches um, in any case. And and there are various compositions made for that and beautiful compositions. So it becomes like a hymn like any other. And a lot of people mm. may not even really remember that it was a psalm in the first place. It, yeah. it, it, could I Could I actually just read those verses right now? Yeah, yeah let's do that. Uh, so it starts, so Psalm 1, verse 1, the very beginning. Uh, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. Uh, and then it would go to Psalm 1, verse 6. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Psalm, and then moves to Psalm 2, verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice in him with trembling. 
Psalm 2, verse 12, blessed are all who trust in him. Psalm 3, verse 8, arise, O Lord, and save me, O my God. Psalm 3, verse 9, salvation is of the Lord, and your blessing is upon your people. And that's it. And then you end with glory to the Father and to the Son and so on. Yeah, so that's the common, you know, uh, abbreviation, let's call it, of it. But, you know, as I say, at this point, with the Alleluia refrains and so forth, it no longer even resembles the original Psalms. And mm-hmm. and arguably, you know, those verses have been extrapolated and removed from their own narrative context. We're talking here about narrative trajectory and so forth. I mean, Psalms 1, 2, and 3 are different kinds of psalms. They each have specific themes. And when you look at them in their entirety, you know, they have a lot to, to say to us. So, uh, you know, the result here, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying it, it, it's quite different from, you know, what it would be like if you, you know, read those psalms in their entirety. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so another alternative within even the still keeping to the city or cathedral practice of singing and doing it more festively is to take one or more of those and to sing them kind of more festively. Um, and so there are or various, you know, kind of composed versions, sung versions uh, of those. It, you know, typically in, in our parish, we actually sing the entirety of Psalm 1, um, you know, rather than, you know, that, that kind of hymn, hymn, hymnified, you know, uh, version, you know, that you just went through. So it, it's interesting, really, because you can imagine the same thing, you know, the book says, here's the cathisma to do, here are the stasis to do, and here's three completely different implementations, which would actually lend themselves to, even in the same service, you know, a completely different way of understanding, uh, you know, the kind of thematic content from the Psalms. Because if you read all of those eight Psalms, each of them has something really, you know, profound and powerful to say, lots to meditate upon. Uh, if you have this kind of hymn version of the thing, it's it's beautiful. And it, it's particularly Christological, right? Because in, particularly in that translation of blessed is the man, who are you thinking of? You know, who mm-hmm. who is the one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly? Who is the one who knows the way of uh, of the righteous and, and so forth? So this, you know, Torah faithfulness, you know, it points directly to, to Christ, the one who's the sovereign right. Lord of the, of the law. I'm looking at the New Revised Standard Version here, which is a common scholarly translation of the Bible. And instead of blessed is the man, it says happy are those. Right? Yes. Well, this is the perennial problem we have in English of how do you take um, a language, because uh, both Hebrew and Greek um, both do this, uh, that how they have words that are at the same time singular and, you know, um, would you say kind of comprehensive, you know, so the right. words so take the word uh, in Greek anthropos or in, in Hebrew, Adam, it is it, in the traditional English sense, it's man, right? Uh, man in the sense of, you know, individual human being is man, but also all of humanity, all of humankind or mankind or whatever is also man. Now, it's difficult to use that word these days because people have kind of said it doesn't, it's not inclusive language. So that you mentioned the NRSV, one of its hallmarks is scholarly translation, but also using inclusive, you know, language and so forth. Well, the danger of that, of course, is we lose that, that beautiful tension between the singular and the, and the comprehensive. You know, um, you know, we get this in the liturgy all the time. Philanthropos, you know, we translate that as as the one who loves mankind or lover of mankind. I reckon it's pretty easy to love mankind. You know, it's a very general thing, you know. Right, but right. 
if you are philanthropos, you know, uh, which literally, you know, a uh, friend of man, you know, it's not just the generic humanity that you have to address with your love, which is as in the abstract, really easy to do. And most Christians would, would sign up to that. But every one of those human beings, you know, so mm -hmm. I like the fact that traditionally, if we, if we can preserve the meaning of man in English, it does the same thing because it works on the singular level and that comprehensive level, which is Mm -hmm. You know, because it, it's both in the Hebrew, both in the Greek. Uh, and of course, it also has, in this particular case, a Christological focus. You think of, you know, uh, not just everyone who does this, you know, being blessed, but in fact, the one who truly and fully did this and therefore guaranteed and secured our salvation is you know, the one who, who came, you know, God himself who came and, you know, fulfilled the fullness of, of the law. So, what does the Kathisma on Saturday evening Vespers, what does it offer or what does it contribute to the narrative purpose of Vespers? Well, this is where you'd have to answer that question differently depending on how you've implemented the Kathisma. So, right, yeah, exactly. let's go with the hymn version that you read out. Uh, so, it's the, sure. the two verses from each of Psalms one, two, and three. And so what is the, the kind of picture that, that's filled out there? Well, let's remind ourselves, you know, where we've come from in this, because, you know, we've done the scene setting, right, in that opening psalm of creation, which has not only set the kind of stage of creation on which we operate, you know, it, it is literally, you know, the, the stage that we live our lives on, you know, we can't go outside of it. We're actors that have been placed, you know, within this framework and we can't extract ourselves from it. So, but what is that, that scenery, that backdrop like? It is the ongoing loving creative power of God, the one who is in control, the one who has ordered all things and everything is, is blessed that follows through, you know, with, with, with the ordering of creation and that kind of purposefulness of creation, uh, that is set out there. And then, of course, after that opening psalm, you know, we have this litany where we gather all of the world that we know and we commend it to God and we, 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 we head towards this end, which is God's peace, God's shalom. So, Interestingly, the next kind of narrative move in Saturday evening and festal vespers is in this hymn that has been drawn out of Psalms 1 to 3, which is a reflection on the one who is faithful, is faithful to that, those purposes of God, uh, is the one who does not get distracted, uh, into other purposes, you know, does not go after the things, the, the wicked, the ungodly, those who are not faithful to God's law, to his Torah. And obviously, you know, in the, in the broadest sense, um, the Torah, the law of God is simply the reflection all through creation of God's, uh, creative, loving, you know, purposes to kind of establish this peace, this shalom. And so the one who comes in and embodies that is the one that we sing about. And that is the one who is blessed. And all of those verses that, that you referred to kind of pull us back towards that, the way of the righteous, serving the Lord, rejoicing in the Lord with trembling, taking refuge in the Lord. And now a hint, you know, arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, that there are times when you know, we need to be brought back 
you know, to that, which will be, of course, be the next major narrative move that we'll make in the service about crying out from the depths of where things have maybe gone a little bit um, awry. Something that wasn't even really that hinted at in that opening psalm, maybe, you know, towards the end where it spoke about, um, you know, sinners perishing. Uh, and it was alluded to in, in the sense of the, the kind of petitions that we brought in the great litany, the litany of peace. Uh, but here it's now going to be sounded a little bit more, more strongly. Yes, God has set all things into motion. God continues to create and draw all things towards his ultimate loving purposes, but we do get things wrong. And so the contrast that's offered, you know, in this psalm between the one who is godly and righteous and following in the kind of proper line towards that end, you know, is made with, with the ones who aren't. And maybe, just maybe, we are not fully partaking of the faithfulness track. And we're going to need to address that, you know, in a very, very uh, profound way in the next kind of move, which will be the, the Lord I have cried or Lord I call uh, psalms uh, that we, we, we will sing. The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public aspect of our overall project. For those interested, we actively post new episodes on our private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate, discuss, and disagree about open and sometimes controversial theological questions. To get access to these episodes and to join our online community, you can become a patron of the show. We can only continue this work through the generous financial support of our listeners. To become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom and select which tier of support you wish. Again, that's patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. And now back to the show. So obviously at Saturday Vespers, this would normally be something sung or, or done in more of a celebratory kind of or solemn kind of style. Whereas in Daily Vespers, this would be done in much more simple somebody reading. Uh, how, how does the, let's say the posture of prayer or the the call to just sit and be quiet actually contribute to the narrative aspect of Vespers as well? Say more during daily Vespers than... Yeah. And, and of course, the, the answer here can't depend on the specific content of, of the Psalms because those will vary over time um, or you know, different times and, and, and seasons of the church year. Different Psalms are appointed for there. But just that, that fact of having set out the stage of creation and the purpose of creation to move towards this peace, this shalom, this this all-encompassing glory and grace and well-being that God intends, you know, what does it mean to then stop, to be still, to kind of pause and reflect a, a little bit? I think it's it's a wonderful thing that we still have embedded in, in our service. You can imagine, you know, there was a time when there was something that was purely a cathedral rite, and it didn't have very many of these moments. This really does, you know, derive from more of that desert practice, that monastic practice. And so when those practices come together, it has afforded us these moments of stillness. Um, and, you know, I often think of, you know, some of those great you know, kind of examples from the scriptures of, you know, when that stillness, you know, led to, to such moments of, of spiritual insight or growth or whatever. I mean, the classically, obviously, someone like the prophet Elijah, right, who, you know, is as in First Kings, um, 
or third kingdoms, if you're reading in the Septuagint, uh, you know, where he's told by God to go into a mountain and the Lord passes by. But first of all, there's this great wind that tears into the mountains and breaks the rocks and everything. But the Lord was not in the wind. And then there's an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake, a fire. You know, these are all the kinds of places we're normally looking for God. And there's a lot of, you know, fire and earthquake and wind in our services in terms of the kind of high moments. But the Lord was not in the fire either. And after the fire, a still small voice. And I, I don't know, my sense in those moments, those quiet moments, those meditative moments, either here, you know, here in Vespers, later uh, in, in the matin service of a vigil, uh, it's a little bit like that. It's that still small voice. Um, or I think, you know, even of the narrative of the Exodus, right? Where, you know, right at the moment when it's all kicking off, right? And, you know, the seas parted and the chariots are going to get stuck and the Pharaoh's host overthrown and everything. And what does, um, you know, what does Moses uh, say to the people, right? Don't be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. He will do this for you today. He is going to accomplish this for you. You know, you're, the Egyptians you're looking at, you know, that you're frightened of and you're trying to escape. You're never going to see them again. The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. In other words, you stop doing what you're doing. Be quiet. Just wait and watch what the Lord is doing. And in some ways, you know, having seen this great canvas of creation laid out for us and the purposes of God and this kind of invitation to gather everything and commend it to God in the litany of peace, now we're being asked to pause and watch what the Lord is all about. Get to know who he is. Be still, as we hear in Psalm 45, be still and know that I am God. And that's the Psalm 2, Psalm 45. It's brilliant because it's all about the fury and the, you know, the other nations and the other gods and everything. But Israel is told to be still. And I just like, I love those moments in the service when we're told just to be quiet and sit down. And, and, and that's a great thing to do. We'll talk about that when we talk about how you, uh, you know, liturgically participate in this. But, you know, stop what you're doing and know who God is. A couple of episodes ago, we talked about that concept of the, the, like that great narrative U shape that exists in in basically all stories, but is really encapsulated in the Psalms and the story of the Scriptures. That you have um, this naive or this um, it's. I think you mentioned it. Uh, the, some some people call it orientation, disorientation, reorientation, right? That you almost start in this sort of naive view of the world. Oh, everything's great. You know, God is in charge. Everything is ordered exactly the way it should be. But then something horrible in life happens, um, whether it's a natural disaster or caused by even human um, malevolence, even that you get to these depths of sorrow and, and despair. And, and then you have this rise out of that. And into this reorientation or this this type of um, joy or knowledge that can still understand the depths of of human sorrow. So it's it's understanding that God is in control, but not in a naive way. So one of the things that's helped me in, in the past couple of weeks in, in prayer has been when I experience the Psalms to actually think about where this song is plotted on that. <laughs> On that U shape, right? Um, 
to, to is this just kind of sitting in that naive God is in control kind of aspect or is it in the is it in the depths of the of the pit so to speak or has it emerged the other side um, so that was really helpful to me yeah and you're quite right and and I mean it's not even also about where the psalm is pitched because that's about you know the psalmist in their context of where he is writing out of in, in his own life, uh, you know, or the community that's, you know, kind of surrounding him and, and, uh, you know, but we ourselves in these kind of quiet moments are asked to assess our own lives. You know, this is our opportunity. Where, where, where does our life kind of catch on to what the psalm is all about? Because we also go through, you know, regularly this kind of you patterns. I mean, our, there's the whole of our life, which is in that, but there's the kind of, minor you you know patterns of of every aspect of our family life our church life our work life and and so forth so where are we at and you know what where can we kind of catch hold of some of that but to know that you have to be still you have to stop you have to and and ultimately do what not not look at yourself but look at god you know be still and know that i am god you know or as moses said you know stop what you're doing and look to what the Lord is working for you. And that's ultimately what these moments of quietude and 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 a little bit of solitude and, and you know you're in a community and but it's the church is darkened and, and you're kind of in your space these moments of quiet and uh, a little bit of, of, of withdrawal from the kind of frenzy of the service they allow us to be able to kind of reflect on on precisely that you know where are we in all of this and then we can move forward with with the rest of the service thanks so much for listening to another episode of enacting the kingdom for bonus episodes and content or if you'd simply like to see this show continue consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom see you next time